welcome back to the uh, fourth episode of the Tech Garage. Yeah, it's crazy. We're kicking these out pretty quick. It's yeah, we're not fun. doing bad at all. So, um, I know some of you are rapidly and excitedly waiting for our uh, lineup of uh, all the greatest scripting languages and the pros and cons of each and why you should use them. Um, but as it turns out, that's not what you're going to be hearing about today. That's a lot of work to uh, <laughs> to learn everything and then be able to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. There, there were some uh, life-changing events that involved uh, me being on call for a week and uh, <laughs> Matt running a half marathon that kept us from really prepping for that. So what we're going to be doing instead is we're going to talk a little bit about uh, scripting languages, what we like, why we like them, and what we look for in a scripting language, as well as be talking about um, a couple of cool projects that Matt found this week and just a, a larger talk in general about uh, some interesting sites out there on the internet that help you uh, make money for your projects. So uh, you, so, you, you, so, did, you okay. did run a half marathon recently. What, uh, I did. what was your time? How uh, were you doing? I was about 140 or 245. If I was 145, that'd be crazy fast. But <laughs> I'm still too fat to run that fast. So it was more like uh, 245. Very nice. And where were you at for that? I was in Moab. How is it down there? It is really cool. So, A, there, there was two things. One, we hit perfect weather. So is if you're up here in the Pacific Northwest with us, you know that it's been raining and snowing nonstop for the last, like, month. It's been crazy up here this yeah. year. I, I um, wake up every morning and look at it and go, God damn it, snow. Yeah, uh, which I don't remember a year ever where there's been this much this much snow. I mean, it's not deep. It, well, it melts global every warming, day. dude. That's, that's uh, leading yeah. to the Well, snow. the rest of the country, I don't know if you, you, I know you don't, I know you don't actually know this, but the rest of the country is actually, like, super hot right now. Uh, but it was nice. It was, like, 75 in Moab, and uh, it, was, it was basically perfect weather. Very nice. Cool rock formations. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was fun. It has the outside prettiness going on. It does. And I'd never been to that part of the country before. I highly recommend it to anybody that's never been there. It was, it was beautiful. It was a lot of fun. Nice. I might actually have to head out there. It sounds like you did some hiking, too. Was the uh... A little bit. We were in uh, Arches National Park, which is, uh, if you've ever seen the uh, license plate for, for Utah, it's, it's the picture that's on uh license plate so it's kind of a big deal hmm, nice yeah cool okay so uh let's jump into scripting languages yeah um i, I got a question for you sure because i know what your first scripting language was ah uh, yes you want, would like to talk about this well <laughs> I, I i figure it's a nice a, a nice start off point it, it is so um when a million years ago uh what probably 11 or 12 years ago i guess like oh two oh three even be. before that it was like uh uh, but anyway, um, I found myself in a uh, systems engineering job where I needed to do some work, and I was like, this is a bunch of bullshit. Everything here is repetitive. I'm sick and tired of typing the same thing in forever. I'm going to go learn myself a scripting language and like just take care of this. And I worked nights at the time, as right. did you, so we had plenty of time. And Microsoft, so you chose VBScript, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I work in an all-Microsoft environment. What scripting language am I going to learn? Perl. Um, as it turns out, Perl may not be the best choice. And, and this really gets into sort of some of the things you have to think about when picking a scripting language. But I went with Perl and uh, started writing a whole bunch of scripts here and there and then ran into the awesome issue where I had to find a way to get my Perl scripts deployed in a Microsoft world. All right, so you can actually run them on a machine. <laughs> yeah, and, and it turns out that uh, all of the servers that I was working with didn't exactly have Perl installed, so now I have to go, you know... You mean, like, any of them? Oh, yeah, yeah, any of them. 
So then I was stuck in the unfortunate position of having to get Perl deployed out to, what, three or 400 servers? Yeah. Or, alternately, finding a program to compile Perl to a binary so that it can be executed on a... Uh, Sorry, microphone problems here. Yeah. On a uh, Microsoft platform, and actually, I actually like that solution for Perl because uh, it made it distributable. But it doesn't really; uh, it, it kind of becomes not really scripting anymore, and it's just plain programming. I mean, in some, in, in a lot of sense, right? Because anybody can't then go back and look at your script and modify it easily and 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 reuse it. It's now compiled code that has to be. In a in a source location it, and, and recompile to, to to rerun it again, and it becomes you, you end up with additional. I, I think that's really the big benefit of scripting over over programming, is that you don't have to recompile it. You don't have to uh, have as stringent uh, source control on it because hey, here the script's in this folder and it just runs right. I don't have to go back to the build location and and, and modify it and check it in and get it change get all of the See, other work that goes on with making sure that code is 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 staying standardized and complete you can kind of uh, get away with ignoring and scripting for various reasons my insights hurt when you say that i know <laughs> but i'm, you know I'm sitting I'm over here trying to find a constructive way to respond but, so let's let's uh i we definitely need to talk about that but let's start with uh um a, an approach here where we talk about what we're looking for and how we use it, and then we'll talk a little bit more in depth about right. the, the exact issue you're bringing up here. Um, a couple of things I heard you say is some of the benefits to scripting are, A, it's readable. Anybody can just like kind of open it up, look at it, and get a feel for how it works. Yeah, yep. um, it's quick to prototype. You can get it out there without too much work. Yep. And uh, it is also meeting a very uh, strategic need or tactical need, right? Yep. Um, which are kind of the big areas where scripting really excels. And when you're doing a larger software project, you're going to be doing a lot of uh, design work, a lot of planning, a lot of uh, forward thought. Where scripting, you're just getting in there and solving a problem, right? Yep. You're going to execute on what you need. But uh, some of the things that uh, were missing were things that people don't actually think about um, very much. Is one, you want to make sure that you've selected the right scripting language for the job. And yeah, I mean, no matter what you're doing, there's going to be a scripting language that's going to be aimed directly at the purpose you're looking at. Um, and then there's also, um, again, so how many times I've seen this, it's a, it's an anti-pattern that's just appalling to me. But um, people write a script and like, we're going to use this script to do this thing. And then they're like, okay, this doesn't work, so I'm going to write another script that calls this script to do this thing. And next thing you know, you have like five scripts chained together for absolutely zero functional purpose. Now, now my insides hurt. <laughs> Tell me you haven't seen that though. I mean, it no, no, all I, the I've time. seen that. I've seen that. I've seen worse. I've seen where um, <laughs> somebody runs like a uh, scheduled task to call SQL job or vice versa <laughs> to do. So, and you're like, wait, but this could just be one. This should be one thing. Why are you moving things all over the place? When uh, and and I'm gonna go ahead and uh, speak about one of my old teams. There was a, a team that I used to work on back in the day, and the joke was, if you weren't running a scheduled task to call a VB script to execute a command shell to run a SQL query, you weren't doing it right. <sighs> because we found scripts, like we found like important bits of our infrastructure running like that. And it was like, 
really, this is the best we could come up with here. Right. And, and why not? It just doesn't make sense. It really doesn't make sense. And, and, and I still see, I still run into those things occasionally. And you go, why, why are you doing this? Why, why are you, yeah. And, and A, why are you using a scheduled task ever? It's, it's better <laughs> since uh, 2008. I mean, scheduled tasks, they, they made a pretty big upgrade to them in, in 2008. But they're still just not a reliable way to schedule tasks yeah um not not to speak ill of any platform necessarily but i i think when you're running a large production scale system scheduled tasks are probably not the way to go um even in the linux space cron jobs i know everybody loves them and uses them all the time but i your software should just be smart enough to be executing as it's doing stuff exactly as to, or, uh, or come up with go with a custom uh solution for that schedules your jobs for you um, I mean, th th there's products out there that you can you can purchase, and they might be kind of expensive. That will act as basically tasks or job scheduling uh, stuff. If if you're doing more than five servers, yeah. And, and it, at the end of the day, it boils down to when I'm when I have tasks that are required for my production environment and they're executing. There's a lot of things I want to know about them. I want to know a did they run, b did they succeed, c did they take too long to run, like. There's a bunch of uh, metrics around that that I'm yep. interested in that I just don't get out of either scheduled task or cron unless scheduled task has had a major upgrade that I haven't noticed. No, none of that. I mean, it, it, the the nice thing about scheduled tasks now is at least I know if it failed, I can write an error to the event log without having to assume that that information's written into the script. It, it, it kind of right. does it natively through the task scheduler, but that's really the only benefit over 2003, which is just just enough to make it almost good enough to use, but I still just cringe every time I see a scheduled task. And you actually just brought up another uh, point for uh, um, th that I forgot about while talking about scripting. Another wildly overlooked aspect to writing a decent script is error handling. That almost is never there. Yeah. Um, so let's actually jump into scripting real fast. Okay. Um, when the, the first thing that I think about when I'm looking at writing a script is, um, other than what does it need to do, is where am I going to be running it? Um, because, as I learned very early on with that first initial Perl script that I wrote, that it sucks to have to have a script that can't run on the environment that you uh, are working right. in. Right, which is, I think, why VB script became so prevalent in Windows environments, right? Yeah. Even though it's not a great language. Oh, v uh, yeah, VB script is atrocious it, as far it, as I'm It concerned. runs natively on any Windows box. But yeah, the, the interpreter's there, it runs, and that was exactly why I started using VB script, is because I knew that no matter what server it was on, it was going to run. Yep. Now, in the Windows world, they've done a very nice thing and made PowerShell now also deployed everywhere and available, which... Uh, Makes if you're doing Windows scripting and you're using uh, uh, the command shell, uh, stop. You should have stopped in 19, what, 94, 95. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you should never have done that. If you're writing anything more than like three lines in uh, just command line, you're doing it wrong. Stop and use PowerShell. Yeah. Um, and that'll actually been uh, 06, 07. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think you should ever been using a batch um, no uh, yeah, yeah. script for anything. I, I've looked at like massively large, um, like nine hundred line batch scripts, and it's like, dude, why? This just not the right approach. Um, if you're using VB script, stop again. As soon as PowerShell came out, just give up with VB script, move on to a realistic language. Um, now, if you're in the uh, in the Linux world, um, and I've been doing. Linux now for about two years in my job, and um, 
it's a little bit more complicated. And in the Microsoft space, there's basically, if you want to do something well, use PowerShell, period, done. Uh, when you're running in the uh, Linux side, you have lots of different options, and sort of what you're looking to do sort of uh, helps pick your options, right? So you're looking at uh, Perl, you got Ruby, uh, Python, um, insert other scripting language here that I'm not thinking of. Uh, oh, and then you also have all of your different shells, right? You can write a, uh, a script in Z shell or C shell or bash or uh, whatever you want. Um, and I'm here to tell you, and this is probably going to get me a lot of crap, don't write shell scripts. Just stop. <laughs> this, like, I uh, have been making a bunch of functions lately because uh, we've got some new systems engineers starting up on my team. And I thought, hey, here's a bunch of uh, functions that I've added to my shell so that I can just type, like, um, SSH to our terminal server box, or not our terminal server, because we don't have Windows, but SSH to our ops box, right? Right. So I just go SSH ops box and region, and from that it can go find me the right ops box. I don't need to know the name of it or anything, and ta-da, I'm logged in and can do all my work. And I figured, hey, somebody else might need these, so I've been uh, making my functions a little bit cleaner and prettier. And deep down inside, I think that is probably the extent that you should do in um, shell scripting languages is just the functions that you need to get your job done quick, and they're dirty, eight, ten lines at most. Right. Um, so, so do you feel kind of about uh, shell scripts like you do command? or uh, CMD scripts in Windows? Or uh, is it kind of equivalent? Very similar. Shell scripting in Linux is a lot better. <laughs> okay. Then uh, the, the command interpreter is a little bit um, lame on the Windows side, but the uh, shell scripting is much more... Uh, it's more feature-rich. You have more options. You can do a lot cooler stuff. Um, but again, it's one of those things where if you're going to be doing a very long... Um, if you're doing a very complicated script, grab a... Grab a in, in my in my preferences, grab either Ruby or Python and do something right. with them. Now, in, in now I'm 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 coming from completely Windows world, so I, and I assume some of the people other people listening to this are also. Does what what's the uh, what's your options then if you're using Perl or Ruby or Python of of ensuring that that's can run on your uh, other machines you're supporting? Um, in basically every. Uh, Linux distribution comes with Perl, Ruby, and Python on them. Okay, so, so it's, it's, it, you can just expect it to be yeah, there. Yeah, pr provided you're not using, like, just bleeding-edge new builds of everything, there will be yeah. a, an interpreter out there. And, um, yeah, it, it's just a lot easier uh, to get a scripting... Well, the, uh, w one of the benefits of Linux is it does come with a lot of this... Uh, a lot of the scripting language is kind of already right there for you. Right. And, I mean, you can install both Ruby and Python and Perl on uh, Windows, but at the end of the day, I'm a big fan of whatever comes by default in my OS is the tool set that I'm going to be using. Right. So then I don't have to do additional work to get it there in the first place so that I can automate it. If it's just built in, then uh, that seems like the way to go. Oh, I agree totally. completely. Yeah, yeah. So uh, now when it comes to uh, what kind of script you're writing, a lot of, or, well, the next thing that I like about scripting is you're doing it to solve a problem, right? So after you've made the choice of what kind of scripting language do I want or, or what kind of scripting languages are available, you have to ask yourself, what is the right scripting language to be using now, right? right? Um, again, in Windows, the answer is clear and easy. PowerShell. Yeah. Um, in the Linux world, um, I have found myself switching back and forth between mostly Python and Ruby based off of... Uh, what kind of things I'm going to be doing with the script. 
For instance, um, excuse me for one second. Um, the uh, I when I first started writing scripts, I was like, "Hey, Ruby's cool. It's got gems, which are uh, basically modules that you can download from a external source." And sorry about that. Um, uh, really easily using your script, right? You just go, "Hey, gem install X gem or whatever it is to do." Um, like for instance. I was interacting with some web services, right? And it was pumping me back a bunch of XML, and I'm like, I really want to treat this XML like an object, uh, you know? And then there's a uh, um, gem called Happy Mapper, which will take XML input and, ta-da, allow you to generate an uh, uh, object in Ruby so that you can you know, deal with it as an object. Uh, great, gem installed, done, it's there, I'm using it. Um, when la four or five months ago, I found an internal Python library that some team has written, and it interacts with a bunch of our, uh, like our monitoring service, our, uh, um, uh, our uh, CMDB, so like our host stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. It's a great library. I can all of a sudden get all of this data in and out really easily. And it's a Python library, so I'm going to go learn Python now. So then I do Python. Um, now, when you're in the Linux and Windows world, the kind of things that I like about scripting languages especially is after I've found the proper libraries that I need yeah. and figured out which one's going to be most effective for what I'm doing now, um, then there also becomes the, uh, the edge of quick prototyping for the script, right? Because while you're going to make a nice script with uh, you know, solid logic and clear um, uh, goals and you can look at it and understand what's happening, which... Um, is why you're not hearing me talk about Perl, is because uh, <laughs> a lot of folks, when you look at Perl, because people have, like, quote-unquote, optimized it, right. um, which, which is to say obfuscated it beyond effing belief, um, part of a good script is maintainability, right? Because I'm going to write it, I'm not going to look at it for a year, two years, three years. Somebody else is going to come by and find it needs to do something slightly different, so they're going to modify it, change it a little bit, and if they can't tell what's going on... <laughs> right. If it's just a bunch of slashes and, and, and uh, random characters, or that's what it looks like. I, I think we've all seen Perl scripts that look like that, where you're like, this guy just tried to be super elite, and instead I can't tell... I'm going to have to like look up every command here to, to back-reference what he's actually doing, because I can't actually understand it yeah. at a glimpse. So, yeah... Um, uh, Python actually has a couple of uh, approaches that really ensure that you're going to have uh, very readable scripts. For instance, when you're using um, even PowerShell, Perl, or Ruby, right, um, you have a choice of where to put your braces, right? You can um, have them all in a single line. You can have a brace on one line and then indented text. And, right. And I've got, I've got definite uh, preferences on how I like my scripts to look when they're Done and I, I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty hard on on my formatting. Yeah, I, I, I like it to be exactly the same every time. Me too. Um, and the neat thing about Python is it's enforced. Nice. Period. Uh, the uh, Python doesn't actually have any braces in it. So like if you're doing a for loop or um, anything, it's just a tab or not tab, but space delimited. Right. And if you have too many spaces in the wrong spot, it will complain at you and not work. So I'm, I'm, I'm not familiar with Python, but I'm actually, as you're talking about that, looking at a Python script, and I see that, and that seems kind of silly. So when I first looked at it, I was like, oh, I can't believe this. What are This is just insane and stupid and bad. But after using it, it 
here's the thing that it does. It forces anybody and everybody that's writing a Python script to basically use um, indent. It, it forces upon you um, good practices. Right. So but <laughs> it probably also makes it fairly buggy to prototype. Not really. It's really? actually uh, pretty solid on prototyping. And this is where um, the, the next bit with the prototyping comes in. When, uh, when you're just kind of banging out commands on an, in your scripting language of choice, uh, there's some pros and cons across the board, right? Like PowerShell, if you type on the command line and it works, it's going to work in your script, right? right? And it's very clean and easy and nice. Right. Um, when you're it's not like when you, uh, as in we know from command lines, you have to add extra characters if it's in a script as opposed to a different set of characters if it's just on the console. Yeah. Which is just silly. Like, why would you ever, like... Agreed. Really. That, that, that's why nobody should ever use command shell for anything. Yeah. Um, and when you're dealing with Python and Ruby, you can start up into, in Ruby, interactive Ruby, and then you can, you know, type in all your commands and everything works. Uh, Python, the, there's uh, also a uh, interactive Python type thing. Um, but in the Python space, what is really cool is IPython. It's basically a... Uh, is that made by Apple? <laughs> strangely, no. Um, it's made by... Um, I can't remember the folks' <laughs> names. It doesn't sudden. matter. But yeah, it, uh, what IPython is, is it's a... Uh, uh, it's like a... Uh, my brain just turned off. It's like an interactive shell for Python, basically, that gives you um, not only the ability to execute Python commands, but it also gives you um, a bunch of cool additions to it to help you with uh, what you're doing. For instance, like, um, let's say you've been typing in a bunch of uh, command lines to prototype something, right, in, Python, in IPython, and you're like, oh, hold on, I like that first one I typed better. Excuse me, you can just type in hist, H-I-S-T, and you all of a sudden have a history of all the things that you've executed. Um, oh, just like PowerShell. Just like PowerShell, yeah, exactly. Both of them have it. Um, and, yeah, it's just kind of handy. Uh, and since uh, you probably don't run into this ever, but um, with uh, Linux shells, it can be kind of painful copying and pasting from one place to another. Uh, yeah. Uh, like, for instance, sometimes when I copy and paste from my laptop to my um, one of my servers, I'll, like, open up Vi, you know, paste into it, and all of a sudden, instead of being the nice formatted stuff that was in my um, TextMate or my editor, uh, it's now changed every space to a tab or something. So you've got just oh yeah yeah, and it's kind of annoying. Since Python obviously respects white space, you know it requires it. Right. That can be painful. So with IPython, you can actually just type in C paste, and it opens up an editor for you, and you can paste in, and then fix anything that needs to be done. Ah, right, right. But uh, yeah, so uh, rapid prototyping, it's important to be able to uh, type in the commands you're trying to see if they're going to work in your script, make sure they work. Um, in my mind, both uh, Python and, uh, and uh, PowerShell here have the edge over, say, Ruby, because it's just, oh, that's the other thing. Both the interactive Ruby and the just straight up Python uh, interpreter that you can type into, um, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and speak for everybody here, and I'm assuming you're going to agree. Um, sometimes when you're typing stuff up and you get a bunch of crap on the screen, you're like, oh, that's not what I want. But it's just visually distracting, and you can't think with it there, so you need to be able to clear it. Uh, all right. So you type CLS. <laughs> yeah, it, or uh, clear in okay. Linux world. Which, by the way, does it shock anybody else that Windows actually has a smaller um, 
letters <laughs> for clear. Like, who who would think CLS is actually going to clear the screen? Right. In Windows, you'd think clear would work, but yeah. that's actually the Linux. And for those of you nerds out there, they're going to like, you can just hit Control L, Control L. Yes, I know that, but come on. <laughs> um, uh, IPython actually allows you to do that. The just straight up Python interpreter doesn't. So, like when you're typing in IPython, you get a much cleaner view of what's going on. And, Okay, so fast prototyping is important, and the ability to check it out is good. So Python and uh, and PowerShell are good for that. Yep. Uh, error handling, do it. <laughs> period. Yeah. There, there's no reason not to. I mean, just check what you do. When you when you're gonna give it a command, make sure that it actually does that command. Yeah. And, and here's the thing: you're writing a script because you need something done in production. Yeah. When was the last time you needed to do something to 30 or 40 or 100, 200 servers and you didn't care if it worked on 60% of them, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Never are you going to be like, this absolutely needs to be done. Ish. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I don't really care if it stops everything and our whole fleet goes down. Whatever, it'll be cool. It's all yeah. right. It's all right. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't care about that. Yeah, now the, the uh, thing earlier that you said that really kind of made me hurt inside was the... Uh, um, the scripts don't need to be uh, as heavyweight of a... Div oh, actually, let, let me rephrase what you said. All right. Uh, what I heard you saying was, ah, scripts are scripts. We don't need to save anything. and We don't need to do source control. We can just have put it out there. I don't think that's what you intended. That, yeah, that's not, that's not quite <laughs> the same. Uh, it's not to say that there shouldn't be some level of peer approval uh, before you run a script in production. It's not to say that there shouldn't be... Uh, you know, somebody else looking over your shoulder to make sure you're not blowing something up. Um, right. It's not even to say that you shouldn't keep your scripts in a shared uh, basic library or, or, or place that everybody can access. Uh, what I'm saying, though, is it's not the same, and, and this is because the, the org I'm in now is, is you know, everything's tested mm -hmm. to because it, it actually goes out to real customers. It's not the <laughs> same level of... of um, stringency that's required there. Right, and that's basically it, is the the development process around the software that you're putting out on your production servers rightfully should have a lot of checks and balances to make sure that you're doing the right thing yep. and that it's working as it ought to and it's you know not performing poorly. Um, the, the benefit to scripts is you can grab the important bits of that and leverage them in the scripting world. Like, your scripts should be in source control, right? Yeah. Just so that you don't accidentally uh, um, end up with a lot of different versions of the same script on yep. different servers. Um, you should obviously have peer review on your scripts. You should have some kind of testing to make sure that you're not just doing... Like, one of the other things that I see a lot in scripting that is really painful is, um, let's say you're doing a, uh, a script for finding out the CPU architecture for your server. Now, I have no idea why you need to do this. It was just the first thing that popped into my head. <laughs> and I used it as an interview question earlier this week. So um, it's there. Um, in the Windows world, you would use WMI to do that, right? Yeah. You connect to your server. through. You connect your server over WMI's uh, interface. You get back your data. A lot of folks, when they do this script, what they will do is they will connect to the server, and they will just get back, like, tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of data. Right. Because they didn't write a quick little query in WMI saying, hey, provide me exactly the data I need. Right. So when you do this... So they, you're saying they're, they're doing a WMI everything and then 
searching within the results yeah. for. Yeah. So they pull back everything under the sun, and then they start with the objects that are returned to kind of wheedle it down to, oh, I need this, and I need that, and I right. need this. And that that's the wrong approach, because then your script starts to just kind of balloon in the amount of memory it's taking. Yeah. Um, Not to I, mention time it takes to actually run it. Exactly. Everything else. Ideally, whenever you're interacting with any kind of interface, you say, hey, interface, this is the information I want. Please give me that information. It makes for faster response times in your scripts, better memory usage, um, just all around better. So do that, people. Um, excuse me. Sorry about that. Um, what else was I saying there? Sorry, my brain just right angled. Um, oh, yeah. So when writing scripts for production, leverage the important bits of the development process. So you're doing uh, um, peer reviews, uh, source control, all that. And then the thing that we actually haven't talked about is how do you make sure that your scripts are deployed out to... Oh, actually, two things. You mentioned it a second ago. Uh, one of them is libraries, and uh, the other one is making sure your script versions are all correct. Um, every script that you write, I don't care who you are, is going to do probably um, five or six things that are common in every script. Every script I've ever written has had to connect with either an API of some kind or a database, right? Yep. So if there's a centralized API that you're going to use a lot, go ahead and just create a uh, library to interact with it, make it easier on yourself. That way, every one of your scripts says, you know, like, uh, for instance, um, in one of the projects I did where we were uh, um, uh, connecting to SQL a lot, right? Yeah. There's like five or six lines of SQL connection string stuff that you need, like, you know, uh, open the, or create the object, yep. connect, op. So what I did is I went and created a little uh, library that's like, you know, uh, you just provide it a server name and a SQL query, and boom, it does everything for you so that now each script you write is just much easier to deal with. Right. Um, I said two things, didn't I? Uh, oh, libraries and deployment. Yeah. Um, so after you get all of the, the, you know, boilerplate repeated code that you have, go ahead and throw uh, those all in a library. And then you have to come up with a kind of regular deployment cycle or a way to make sure that all of your stuff is out there so that you have exactly what you think you have. Yep. Sometimes you can do that in really interesting ways by like making these scripts auto-update themselves. So when they run, it checks in to say, hey, do I have the newest version? And then pull it down if it doesn't. Yeah. But let's see. Is that about it for scripting, basically? I think that's all I got for this week. Okay, cool. I mean, we could talk on more, but, but uh, yeah. Sweet. Then let us chat about uh, something cool that you found this week, actually. So, yeah. So uh, you have been uh, learning guitar for the last couple of years. I, I would say you've learned. Yeah, I, I right? think I, I know how to play guitar I think you now. can play guitar now. <laughs> uh, I, on the other hand, have been have been watching that from the sideline and going, I should learn to play how to play guitar. And occasionally I'll, I'll pick one up and, and I'll screw around for a couple minutes and then, uh, and then whatever. Um, so anyway, I, I saw this project online called Tabber uh, that these guys are doing, uh, which th there's all which there's similar things in existence already. So re what they're doing is basically putting LEDs on the on the uh, the fret the frets, uh, so you can see, hey, where do I put my fingers now at any given point? There's there's already some products out there that do similar things, but it's built into an actual guitar. So you got to pay hundreds of dollars for. A specialized guitar that's that's got you know the, the lights that do this and whatever, right. and, and it, that guitar is only going to last you a little bit of time because after you've been playing for a while, you're like it's not doesn't have the sound I want, right. it doesn't uh, it 
doesn't look cool, whatever. Exactly. Uh, so these guys are putting uh, that same concept, but basically into a sleeve that you can put on any guitar um, for basically a low-cost solution to do the exact same thing that's portable. You can put it on any guitar you want, um, even a cheap guitar. Or I, 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 you could probably do it on an acoustic guitar or anything. Yep. Yeah. So let's talk briefly about... Uh, uh, and, and this may be too simple of a topic, but I'm, I'm going to talk about it anyway. Um, does everybody out there know how a guitar works? You, uh, yeah. Okay, so you have... <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing, um, and I didn't actually know about this until I, until I started playing guitar. Like, obviously, a guitar works by you press a string down, and then you pluck the string, and it makes a sound based off of which... Piece of the right. Neck so, on, right? so you're you're shortening or increasing the length of the string to change the frequency that it, it vibrates at. Nerd. Um, yes, but um, <laughs> something that uh, that may not immediately uh, jump into people's heads about this is one of the ways that guitarists over the years have uh, started to transfer the music isn't to sit down there with a full-on music notation and go, okay, this is in the key of G. It has uh, how many flats and sharps. And then I'm gonna write out in music notes on uh, a little know, a little thing. dot with a squiggly that sits on a grid. Exactly, they they don't do that because most guitarists can't actually read music. Right. Um. So what they've invented is tab, which is basically a representation of the guitar on the piece of paper. You've got uh, six lines, one line for each of the strings, and then you can just on each line draw like a five. Right. And that says that you put your finger on that specific string and on the fifth fret. Right. So as opposed to uh, another way to explain this is another instead of saying uh, you're playing a G, it's actually showing you where your finger goes. So you, you kind of reduce some of the, the amount of learning that you have to do. Exactly. Yeah. It, it makes it way simpler to kind of pick up and go. And that's what the um, Tabber folks are right. doing. Is and, they've, uh, and one of the problems I have is as I'm trying to learn guitar, um, I'm looking at either, you know, my... my, my uh, that that tabulature on either a sheet of music or, or like like a piece of paper or my my laptop or something, and then I got to look over. Wait, you know my fingers are over here, and then they're here, and then I got to check back at the the tab, and I got oh, no, wait, no, this one goes over here, and then I got to look back, and I got to move things around, yeah. and I got to keep like checking back and forth. I can't just look at my hand and and say, oh, this is where my hand goes, and then it moves to the next one. Oh, this is where my hand goes, and so. I suspect that this reduces the 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 the, learner, the learning curve because everything's simplified and you, you can look at one thing and it moves you through the steps yeah. a lot quicker. And, and it, this, excuse me, um, there's a number of things out there that are in this whole kind of te learn to play guitar type phase, um, and most of them do involve you looking not at the guitar. Or not focused on the guitar, so you got to do a lot of back and forths. Um, but um, even at that, there's now other games also that are coming out that are kind of more in line. Like, uh, don't you also own? Uh, yeah, I can't remember the name of it right is now. Is it Rocksmith? Uh, yes, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, which um, basically is uh, a game where you plug any guitar you want into your Xbox, and it tells you again with the um, tablature kind of notation where to put your fingers while playing. Yeah, it's it's. Have you played with it? I have not. Okay, well, I should I should bring it over okay. sometime because it's actually kind of fun. 
Um, and it's probably, you'd probably be way better than I am because <laughs> I've go, as I play through it, I'm like, and again, I still have the same problem of, you know, it, it, it basically plays like Guitar Hero. Yeah. Except for you're playing with a real guitar. And so you see where on, on the TV screen, here's where my hand should be. My hand is not there. So when I play the note, it goes, nah, that's the wrong note. Or, it just, you know, you don't get yeah. whatever. Um, so... Yeah, definitely uh, the tabber sleeve that you're talking about. And for those of you playing at home, it's not a traditional sleeve like you would put your arm into. It's more like um, kind of imagine like some fingers, fingers that yeah. sl- sneak underneath the strings, but bef- un- or you know above the fretboard, but underneath the uh, strings, and they have little LEDs in there. And we watched uh, a video today in prep for this of the uh, guy playing with uh, tabber on his guitar, and um, something that may sound kind of weird being that I do play guitar is I'm relatively bad at uh, um, any guitar playing video games because the the weird thing for me is if I'm going to play a song I'm going to either figure out the chord progression or look at some tab to figure out how it goes and then you know I just kind of go to town when you're listening to a song because you are and then you're looking at the LEDs on your tab, and you're trying to move your hand to go to the next place. It, it there's you know natural human response time that yeah. slows you down. Yep. Um, one of the things that I saw on the tabber that I thought was kind of neat is they are also building some uh, software around it too, so that you can speed up and slow down songs. Yep. You can kind of feed it in at different speeds so that you can actually work at uh, um, play it slow initially, and then uh, speed up as you can. Yeah, and I noticed the uh, what was the the first. Uh, he played a, a um, the first thing he did was he, he played a scale, and I thought that was kind of cool that it just lit up all of the notes in that scale. Yeah. Uh, so you could just go through and you could you could you can learn other things other than I just want to learn it smells like Teen Spirit. You can actually go I want to learn and it's all programmable, so you can say I want to learn this scale, and that actually gives you more knowledge on on how the guitar actually works yeah. as opposed to just, hey, I can I can play three chords in, in rhythm. Um, oh, dude, which, please, come on. If you can play three chords in rhythm, you're like Green Day, Blink-182. I know. You can well, have whole careers if, if on I three could, chords. If I could just learn those three chords myself, then uh, <laughs> I could do that. Yeah. But, uh, no, I, I think uh, watching, uh, w- watching the video for the tabber was actually pretty cool. Um, and I think it would actually help a lot of folks kind of get that, get over that initial hump that is um, how to learn guitar. Yeah. And the weird thing about, like, and, and I don't quite understand this, um, if I, say, wanted to learn how to do glass blowing, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm not going to go to the store and buy a shit ton of glass and a heating element and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to go pay a guy to show me how to do glass blowing, right? Shahuli. Yeah, exactly. Um, maybe not Dale, because I don't think I could afford him. But uh, that's Julie's first name. Right? Yeah, yeah, it okay, is. Good deal. Is. Uh, just checking. <laughs> you looked at me a little weird, and I was like, crap. Um, but when it comes to guitar, people are like, I'm going to learn to play guitar. I'm going to spend uh, $600 or whatever on a guitar and $10 on a book. <laughs> and and that book's gonna teach me everything I need to know. I I, th- I think unfortunately I think that the uh, those should be inverted, and you just spend ten dollars on the guitar and six hundred dollars on on whatever your learning thing is, and I think you'd have a lot better success. Yeah, and that's what I did. Like I when I decided to learn to play guitar, I, I tried it like everybody else did, right? I went out and bought myself a guitar, or I actually I borrowed a guitar from uh, um, some friends. 
and I was playing and I was looking at the book and playing the guitar and I'm like, this is effing hard. I, I don't how how do how do people how do dumb people do this? <laughs> I don't get it. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go get lessons. So I went and got uh, lessons and uh, I found out a couple things real for real fast. A the guitar that I was borrowing was just woefully inadequate. The fretboard was all like skewed and twisted, so you couldn't actually. The reason oh, nice. everything sounded bad was because <laughs> I couldn't get good sound out of the guitar to start with. It, it wasn't you. Yeah, it was. Well, okay, it was me, but it was also the tool I was using. So then I went down to Guitar Center and picked up like a guitar for 150 bucks and played on it for like three years while right. I figured out what I was doing, which I am now borrowing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why it's not hanging on the wall. Yeah. With my, by the way, and I'm going to take a quick little segue here. Um, guy I used to work with. Um, Awesome dude. He spends a lot of time um, at uh, going to garage sales. Now, I, I grew up with my parents going to garage sales. I'm sure your parents went from time to time. Uh, occasionally. Yeah. I, I went with my grandma more than my parents. Okay. Um, in my experience, every garage sale I have ever been to has um, two things at it. Old, crappy books that are falling apart and baby clothes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That seems about right. Yeah. That's all I ever see at yard sales. Meanwhile, uh, the guy that I know was... Uh, uh, at garage sales, he finds the coolest shit. Like you can see uh, hanging up on my wall there, there's a guitar that's about what is that? Uh, uh, two feet, inches, maybe. Yeah, almost it's two very feet small. long. Yeah, it's a little itty bitty tiny guitar with uh, um, an, a built-in speaker underneath the uh, where you strum, so you can just turn it on, play guitar. I mean, it's uh, out of tune and it's really hard to keep a guitar that's two feet long <laughs> in tune. But, uh, you know, it's cool. He's also come away with, like, uh, just crazy amounts of photography gear, like uh, lights and umbrellas really? and everything. And See, like, I always, they? every time I go by a garage sale or something, it's just other people's garbage. There's nothing yeah. really interesting in there. That, that's been my experience, yeah. too. But, uh, so, yeah, uh, if, if you want to learn guitar, go pick up a guitar, um, get Tabber, give it a try. If that doesn't work, go get lessons. Cause so, yeah, so so Tabber's not really available yet, kind of. It kind of is, it kind of isn't. So that's, that's the other thing that I, that I noticed on here, and I, I didn't even realize this existed. But there's a uh, they are basically promoting Tabber on this website called Kickstarter. Now, what's the, what's the idea behind Kickstarter? Kickstarter is basically a way to help you fund your creative project. So these guys are, you know, building Tabber in their what looks like you know, private garage slash studio, whatever. I can't believe somebody would be doing something in their garage. I, I can't believe it either. It's crazy. <laughs> and uh, and they need, you know, to, to put together something like this. And they've done a bunch of work. They did a lot of the initial prototyping. But to really manufacture something like this requires a bunch of money. So how much money do you suppose it takes? Well, apparently right now they need 45 grand. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what, what Matt's referring to there is on the uh, Kickstarter site, basically you say, hey, people out on the internet, here's my product. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Here's what I'm planning on doing. And I'm going to open up for a specific amount of time a window to say, in the next two months, I need to make $40,000, $50,000, a million dollars, whatever I need to make. And if I get enough pledges, I guess, I, I, yeah. um, and we get the money, then, ta-da, we go to town. If, like, it's, it is a lot like pledge driving at the, uh, uh, the 
It is, and, and they and they and you get something back from it. It looks like most of these things. It's not just give me money. It's hey, if you give me and and it's you know if you give me this donation to to run this project because you think it's cool, we'll give you a T-shirt, right? So fifty dollars gets you a T-shirt, which is way overpriced for a T-shirt, but you're you're helping fund these guys. Right. Uh, but there was other they and then they had levels. So if you if I think it was like one hundred and fifty dollars, you would actually get all of the components to build your own tabber. And I think for like two fifty or something, they give you a current prototype of of, of what it is. And then the current prototypes for five hundred. Do I get a BJ? There was a, something on here. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, and it looks like these guys actually need some help. It doesn't look like they're they're quite taking off yet. I mean, it doesn't look like they've got. They think they had five thousand dollars of their forty five. I think they were about fifty nine hundred or something yeah. like that when I looked. But looking through here, I, then the, today was the first time I really looked through any of the other projects. There are people who are. Totally funding, like who have made uh, enough money. There's that, that the banner game. What was that? Yeah, it's banner. I was actually just leaning over to the laptop to uh, pull up some stats because I'm apparently a metrics nerd. Um, the banner folks were looking for what a hundred thousand uh, dollars, something like that. Pardon me while I try and figure out how to scroll. Yeah, they were looking for $100,000, and in what, like three days, they made $243,000 to, to fund their project? Yeah, which is just insane. And Imagine going from, like, you're working on a project, like, let's say you're, I don't know, doing a podcast in your garage, So, and you realize that what you need is $100,000 to make it the greatest and best thing ever, and you're like, how oh, am I going to get $100,000? I mean, I just bought a new car, I bought a house, I can't, the bank's not going to give me anything. And uh, I don't know anybody with $100,000 in pocket change, and what am I going to do? Yeah. Go to Kickstarter, and 24 hours later, bam, $100,000. I mean, yeah, and and on both of these projects, I mean, it doesn't look like anybody's saying, hey, I've just got an idea, and give me money. This is, people have actually done, um, invested real oh, yeah, time yeah. and money. I mean, like, when I look at the Banner Saga, uh, which is what it's called, this is a, this is a video game. It's a 2D, 2D uh, rotoscoped animation which rotoscoping is what they used to do like back in the the 70s for like, uh, 2D cell animation it, it's kind of that also, cool uh, yeah any anytime um, you saw like star wars yeah anytime there was a cool effects scene it was rotoscoped yeah so uh it's this cool it, it looks like old school 70s animation but it's in a yeah. in a strategy video game it actually with vikings and stuff it, it really actually looks pretty cool but they've actually done i mean it looks like this game is is fairly well Ready complete, to go. but the publishing cost and all of the other things that go into self-publishing your own thing requires money, and and um, I don't know. I, I think it's fantastic that people are able to go out there and say, "Hey, I need this this money," and and you don't have to go through finding a venture capitalist or some asshole guy yeah. who's going to try and tweak your project. You can kind of self-fund it. I, I I don't know. I think it's it, it's pretty cool. It, it is a great idea because it allows you to maintain creative control of your project. You get to do everything you want. And it allows other people that are invested in your uh, in your idea and you in what you're producing to really be part of it. Yeah. I mean, it, at the end of the day, in regular stuff, right? That's kind of how it works. If you well, let's look at game design, right? How many video games are created a year? A, a shit ton. An a ungodly, shit ton. Uh, yeah, an ungodly amount of games come out. And how yeah. many of those are actually good? Uh, less like. A small buttload. So you yeah. go from a, sh a shit ton, a metric shit ton, to only a buttload of them are actually any good. Yeah, and uh, Matt just showed me what a buttload is. Apparently, it's about a quarter of an inch, according to Yeah, it's 
it's a uh, this is it's a scale I've been working on. Nice. I'm trying to replace the football field as the uh, unit of me- measurement on uh, th- that we usually use. You know, if you're watching Discovery Channel and they tell yeah. you how big an aircraft carrier is, it's always X number of football fields. So yeah, that, I'm trying to do it on you know um, fecal based uh, <laughs> measurements. Good, good. That that's <laughs> it's important to have a strong stance on that. Um, but no, I, what I was trying to get at here is a lot of games are created. A lot of people really believe in the games. They think they're going to be good, right? And then they come out and they're not. Yeah. And they don't have a market or they don't have enough people buying them. So I'm sure there's probably some games out there that were awesome games but couldn't get uh, funded. They couldn't get uh, the right kind of marketing. They couldn't right. get everything they needed. Nobody heard about Nobody it. Nobody heard about it. The neat thing about this idea, especially with the Banner Saga, is you start out with people that want to play your game. Yeah. It's the people that put money into the game to make it possible. And I think once you get some fans that are like, hey, I really want to play this game. I'm going to put my hard-earned money in towards this, and I'm going to buy the game too. That's just like a really awesome kind of coming together of creative stuff and people. Yeah. You know? uh, by the way, one of the cool, the coolest donation I saw on there was if you donate $5,000 to the game, they will animate you into the actual game, which is... Yeah, that it's is pretty kind of cool. Like I was looking at some of the uh, the art for the game, and it looks really cool. Like yeah. uh, it, it really kind of uh, my brain went immediately to like the uh, Hobbit cartoons that we grew up watching. Yeah, and yeah, it looks like it'd be neat. So I might actually have to buy another video game. Hope it comes out on Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it is. It looks like it's coming out for PC and Mac. Oh, that's fine. I have a Mac, so yeah, we'll be good. I I actually the uh, I haven't played a PC game in in years, other than like occasionally reloading up Unreal Tournament recently. <laughs> um, but uh, Diablo three is coming out after only fifteen <laughs> years. Um, and it may be the first v- uh, PC game that I that I. I actually reload up on here and, and actually play through because it and it has been so. Let me tell you the saga of Diablo for All me right. personally. Um, I was I was working in Alaska when uh, we kind of did you were you in on that when when Justin and like Mike were playing yeah. Diablo, and I was you know far out of state and they're like hey check this game out it's awesome and it, that was like two years after it come out I mean it wasn't like yeah. a brand new game at that point. And uh, do, do you remember the most exciting thing about Diablo when it came out? Uh, that it made random maps. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right? I mean, that was crazy. Yeah, was, who who would even imagine? Because like just, maps are clearly designed, and you you once you play it, you've played it. And you, right. You you, know. And said you could just keep playing it over and over. And, I, and we so did. <laughs> I was and I was working with this guy up in Alaska who was uh, I was doing a bunch of tech stuff for uh, this project, and we had a helicopter mechanic on. Wait, wait, my tech stuff, do you mean putting stuff in Excel? Uh, no, it was access. <laughs> uh, and I was doing a lot of GPS work and, right. and, and mapping and uh, GIS work. And uh, anyway, the, so me and the helicopter mechanic were basically hanging around uh, the office all day because when the helicopter's gone, the mechanic can't really do much. Right. And uh, he started playing... Uh, Diablo. In fact, he, he was not a video game person. He saw me playing. He's like, that looks kind of fun. And uh, then I didn't see him for like three months <laughs> because he just played Diablo nonstop in his bedroom. Um, it kind of ruined him. But uh, No. Yeah. It's a good thing he didn't have EverQuest. Imagine what would have happened. <laughs> I know. Meanwhile, so as we're playing, I, I think they actually announced Diablo 2 that year. Um, mm-hmm. Now, this was a full two or three years before Diablo 2 was actually released. And so it was a big deal, and I remember like really anticipating Diablo 2 because it was going to be awesome. And then Blizzard released that piece of shit Diablo 2 game, and you know what they did? Nothing. It was the same fucking game 
with slightly better graphics. I think it was still running at like. But it had two in the title. Of course, it was a different. I don't game, even dude. think it was running at 800 by 600. And this was in 2002. And I, I played through the demo, and I was like, "Screw you guys! This is the same goddamn game that I played through three years ago. I don't care. I can go outside now." That, that that right <laughs> like th- they had environments that were outside that doesn't that doesn't count as a new version of the game yeah in my I, and you know there's people hate me for saying this right now by the way I'm there sure are, they there do. were hardcore fans but but the, at the end of the day it if I'm gonna play a new version of a game or, or a game with a new version number on it I want something interesting like if you look at Halo right Halo came out big impressive game I played it a lot yeah Halo Two came out. They changed a lot. They did. <laughs> it was significantly different. Yeah, I was like, well, this is almost not the same game anymore, to the point where like, uh, I could no longer crack people in the skull because they moved the button and my finger couldn't cope with moving to where it was. Yeah. I've now since fixed that. But I, uh, and I, <sighs> the Halo. Um, I'm a big fan of the Halo franchise, yep. but the, by the second one, I was a little, it was, they, they added things that seemed awesome to the fans. Hey, dual weapons and all this other kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But by the time I got to three, it was like, this is not what I was looking for. I like the storyline, but the multiplayer had kind of degraded to some yeah. degree. I, the multiplayer is now is to a point where I don't even know how to get into a game. Yeah. So then I, um, I played, uh, Halo Reach though, which mm-hmm. basically reverts back to Halo one game style, but with, Fully upgraded HD graphics and everything, and I honestly think it was fantastic. I think I have Halo Reach. You, you did. We, we me, played right? it a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. You're never online on our our nightly game to play, though. Yeah, I know. My uh, Thursday nights have been a little bit hectic lately with band practice and yeah. work. So, but yeah. So uh, play Halo. I guess is what we're saying. <laughs> I guess so. Halo Reach and, and maybe Diablo three when it comes out. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I'm I'm a little interested in how long a game can actually go between releases. Like in operating system worlds, we you and major software bundles, you try and shoot every couple of years, right? Yeah. And I mean, Halo has been doing a very similar thing where they're either launching new games or uh, expansion packs, at least. Yeah. Um, it seems weird to go ten years without. Uh, a uh, major change to your game. You, you mean for Diablo? Yeah, especially Diablo. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. So you I'm know. really hoping, I, and everything I've heard, I heard I've talked to some people that were playing on the beta and said it is fantastic. So I think that uh, Diablo three will actually be um, worthwhile playing. And apparently, Halo four is coming out. Nice. It's supposed to be done by a, a, a Bungie's not doing it. Some other studios doing it. Really? Yeah. Weird. Well, I think it was because Bungie split off from Microsoft. But yeah, but doing their own thing now. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Cool. It might be awesome. Well, let's look forward to that. And I think that actually about covers us for today. Um, Next week, we will actually have the stack up of Python, uh, PowerShell, and Ruby to talk about uh, scripting languages a little bit more. Um, Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week.